sponsor, StrongDM is secure infrastructure access for the modern stack. StrongDM proxies connections between your infrastructure and sysadmins, giving your IT team auditable, policy-driven, IAC-configurable access to whatever they need, wherever they are. Find out more at strongdm.com slash packetpushers. This episode of Day 2 Cloud is brought to you in part by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online IT training from IT Pro TV. And we have a special offer for all you amazing Day 2 Cloud listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. ITPro.tv slash Day 2 Cloud and use promo code Cloud at checkout to save 30% off all plans. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Ethan, we have a fantastic show today. Our guest is Tanya Yanka. She is the founder of WeHack Purple, and we're going to be talking about AppSec and InfoSec and how you can break into that industry if you want to. What jumped out to you about the conversation? Tanya is passionate about AppSec, specifically working with developers to make sure that their code is sanitized, that it is tested well, and so on. Uh, and so we do spend some time there because I didn't know anybody was teaching that. And Tanya thinks she's one of the few that are in that space really covering this with devs. But I was excited to learn from her just how in demand that skill set is becoming for developers. Security seems to be taken very seriously these days in the development community, Ned. Yeah, absolutely. And she's built up a whole catalog of training at WeHack Purple that help people almost go from nothing into this realm of application security. And stay tuned towards the end of the episode. We have some very exciting news that she's going to break about her company. So enjoy this conversation with Tanya Yanka, founder of WeHack Purple. Well, Tanya, welcome to the show. It's it's been a while. You were on episode 55 of Day 2 Cloud way back in the days of July 2020, so almost two years. Um, and I think you were just about to change your branding from She Hacks Purple to We Hack Purple. So what's going on? How you been in the last two years? <laughs> a lot of things have happened, Ned. Thank you both for having me back on. Um, so We Hack Purple has gotten very big. Uh, I think we counted, we have 6,000 registered students in our academy. Mm. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and our academy has grown. I think it's just under, or no, our community has grown. It's just under 2,000 people now. And um, basically, we've released more courses, and we've started having more events, and we started giving private trainings for enterprise customers. And yeah, a lot of stuff has happened. I also published a book since we talked last called wow. Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. And that was a lot of work, but oh my gosh, it's so awesome to have a piece of work that you made like that. Yeah, yeah. I, so you did the book writing thing. I, I've done that myself as well. And that's, whew, that is a commitment, but it's awesome to say I wrote a book. <laughs> yes. Yes, I actually, I want to start my next book in the next few months. Alice and Bob are going to learn secure coding. Awesome. Uh, Go, Alice and Bob. You did not Bob. learn your lesson from writing the first book. You think you want to write a second one? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, good for you, Tanya. I'm sure it'll be as good as the first. Oh, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So for folks who don't know, uh, your primary focus is information security, right? Yes, and specifically application security and like how to make sure you are making secure software, no matter what way you're doing it, if you're doing DevOps or Agile, but just how to make sure at the end your software is safe to put on the internet. Gotcha. So we don't have to write firewall rules anymore, right? <laughs> uh, ideally, no, not for, not for the software, just for the mm. network. Ooh, that would be nice. So what you're saying is like application developers could write more secure software and make my life as an operations person easier. Yes, I am literally saying that. <laughs> I, I, I'm on board. How do I make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Got to connect you with a deal over at HashiCorp. You do need to bang out and have an interesting conversation. That would be uh, that would be very oh, interesting. That would the deal be is epic. All about the uh, not putting defense in depth layers if they aren't needed, if they're redundant, if they just comp complicate your life. So mm -hmm. that would be uh, I would love to hear you guys have a conversation. Yeah, that they whole do talk about layers of security quite often. And sometimes it's worth it and sometimes it's not. Depends on what you're trying to protect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And adding too much complexity can often make your stuff more insecure because you lose track of how things are configured or are done. So, yes, 
That is a thing that is happening a fair bit with DevOps and cloud and especially like microservice architectures. Yes, there are definitely ways to make sure it's less complicated and therefore more secure. So, so what's going on in the world of InfoSec and AppSec today? What, what are the big headlines or the big news that you're focused on? So information security in general right now, it's ransomware everywhere all the mm. time, which is <laughs> awful, obviously, but and and phishing. Basically, those two things ha are the biggest things that are happening all over the world, and they can happen to a person or a company. And so unfortunately, um, those are quite profitable for criminals. And so they're doing a lot of it and it's still working. And so our industry is trying to work against it. And unfortunately, we're not there yet. Mm. Um, but I specialize in the security of software. So application security, as it's called. And application security is actually getting pretty exciting. So in December, we had the log4j situation. So basically, oh, yes. Java is really popular. It's all over the internet. And there is a logging library called log4j. And lots of companies are smart and they make their apps log, which is good. Mm -hmm. um, but a vulnerability was discovered that was pretty darn terrifying. And it turned out just basically, if you have it, you are vulnerable. So sometimes yeah. you can have the library, but you're only vulnerable if you, know, you use this function or whatever. But it was just like, if you have it, you're doomed. And the entire industry moved very fast. I was really impressed with the way that a lot of incident responders did their job compared to, you know, in 2020 when Solar Winds came out, or 2016 when Struts 2 had vulnerability after vulnerability after vulnerability reported. Um, so I feel that our industry has really, really matured in those, you know, five, six years. Um, but also I'm just starting to see application security being taken seriously, which is amazing. So I used to work with clients and I was just trying to convince them that software was a thing. Like you're making software, you're putting it on the internet and it's like a window into your network. They just go right past the firewall if it's insecure and then they're on your web server, they're on your database server and they're inside and bad stuff can happen to now their companies are contacting me and they're saying, we want to help you. We want you to help us improve your app, our AppSec program, or we want you to train our developers in secure coding because we know we need it. And previously, like when I started, most companies didn't have any sort of AppSec activities or AppSec knowledge. And now it's like, this is a serious thing that has to be addressed. How do we do it? And I don't have to beg to do my job anymore. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about secure coding, does that mean an application developer is going to write some code and then to validate its security, it is put through a battery of tests and when the bad code is revealed or missing code is revealed, it's percolated up and changes are made? Or is it more like you need to have this security framework that you're writing your code around from the ground up or you might as well scrap it and start over? What's the approach? So for secure coding specifically, uh, we teach at We Hack Purple, we call it the 17 Commandments, and they're in Alice and Bob Learn. And basically, it's the 17 things that you need to do, or you are just not safe enough to go on the internet. So mm. we talk about, you know, these are what security headers are. These are the exact settings that we recommend. You can go deeper and do more security and put tighter security. But if you're going to go on the internet, this is the bare minimum. Or input validation, this is how, this is what input means. So a lot of people think input is just, from a field, but it could be the URL parameters, a hidden field yeah. from your own API. Like there's so many places that are input to your app and then how do you validate that? Okay. What is escaping I, I, versus- I have fun tailing yeah. logs on my web server and I can see SQL injection attacks just scroll by every once in a while, They people try it, yeah. Yep, exactly. And so secure coding, like we have a course on that and basically it's just about how software developers can start writing more secure code, how they can review a colleague's code and look for those things and why you need to do those things. So why is this scary? What am I avoiding? How am I making my life better? But the first thing you talked about was more like a secure system development life cycle. So the mm -hmm. idea that, okay, so we're gonna build an app. Awesome, we need some requirements. Let's make sure there's some security requirements in there. So let's tell the devs what we want. And then when you get to the design phase, doing some threat modeling, looking at the design, like writing it on a board and just pointing out possible problems and fixing them. 
secure coding, like you said, and then testing. And that's what you talked about, like a battery of different types of tests to verify that all the things we did before that worked and then fixing anything that you missed. Instead, like an automated QA it. process. That That's the part that excites me because it's yeah. it's the kind of thing that you can develop over time. It's not subject to uh, opinions or people following a process. You kind of you bake it into the, the automation pipeline and you you're just less likely to miss things that way or to to be lazy and just be like it, it's fine just rubber stamp it and move it on because you've you've baked all of that testing in and so you're I, it feels to me especially when time is put into developing the battery of tests uh you know over over a period of months or years even you're just more likely to come up with a uh, a secure product at the end of the day yes i i talk a lot about so so the favorite marketing word right now is DevSecOps. And it's basically, in my opinion, what AppSec people do, so us security folks do, if we work somewhere and they're doing DevOps. So I still want the same stuff, but I want to automate and be cool like the DevOps folks. So putting things in a pipeline, but making them short and fast, or putting automating checks that are outside the pipeline and it just sends the answer to the pipeline. So like, yes, they passed all their tests or no, two thumbs down. Do not let that go to prod. <laughs> and right. I have to say, I've been having like a ton of fun, just automating lots of things for clients um, and, and then seeing the results, right? Because then you can scale yourself and your work way better with automation. Cause you set it up once you spend all this time. Like when I was a pen tester, I take all this time, you know, setting up all my tools, scanning all these different things, getting access to all this stuff. And I'm just supposed to pack up my stuff and leave. I'm like, well, why don't we, how much would it cost to like leave these tools and have them run every month and give them a report? And they're like, Tanya, you don't understand consulting. <laughs> <laughs> if you leave them all there running, you can't charge the person when you come back in six months. You got you to gotta, you gotta keep the, the money flowing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn a lot about consulting when I switched from being an employee. It, it's a different world and that's a whole other episode that we could get into. Um, I'm curious. So you, you mentioned DevSecOps as being sort of the new big buzzword. And for some people, they think, oh, that's just getting the security team or the InfoSec team involved in the development process. While other people think of, well, now I'm giving the developer yet another hat to wear. First, they were developing code. And then I told them, you also have to be able to deploy your code because now you're an ops. And now I'm telling you, you're a security person. So like, what is the balance of security for, for the developer versus security for the, the InfoSec team that helps out? I feel like every organization does it differently. I've seen companies where, um, so for instance, Shopify. So I used to spend a lot of time at Shopify in Ottawa because they would host my OWASP meetup for years. And it was really great. And so their AppSec team would just hang out with us, which was <laughs> awesome. And they have a huge AppSec team that are, they're amazing. They're just totally amazing. They're like really like study a lot, know exactly what they're doing. And, and they're saying like, generally it's our job to like find bugs and support the developers in writing secure code, you know, doing lot of testing to make sure what they're doing is okay. Like supporting them doing security activities as part of the SDLC. They're like, but sometimes I'm in there and I'm like, I'm just going to fix it. I'm just going to fix the bug. I don't care. I'm not going to take the time to make a Jira request, do all this other stuff. I'm just going to fix it now. I know I'm not supposed to fix bugs, but no one's going to be like, oh, how dare you fix that bug? Um, <laughs> and like sometimes if you're already in there, it's just easier to just get your hands dirty and do it. Um, but I've seen other teams where never in a million years would they be allowed to touch code. Um, and they're very hands off and they're like, devs, you do this, you do that. And they just like tell devs what to do. I've seen security teams where they feel that all of AppSec is the software development team's job. And I've had like, so when I get hired by companies to come in and give training around, I'd say maybe 30% of the time, it's the dev team that's hired me to come train them because they're not getting answers out of their security team. Mm. And usually, so if the security team hires me, they have like a big bucket of things to do for AppSec. And so they take that budget out of there. But if the dev teams hire me, they're usually allowed like $1,000 or $2,000 each for a year to get their own training. And so they're mashing it all together to hire me. And they're very passionate about security at that point. They're like, we really care. You know, the security team, they just send us these surveys 
And then they might tell us to change one thing like four months later. And like, they don't talk to us. They get, didn't give us any policies or they did, but it's like, how to use your computer from home. It's not <laughs> anything about secure coding. It's nothing about secure design. They're like, we've asked for guidance like 20 times. And they're, they just say, well, you should know that. So we're going to know it because you're going to come in and show us. I'm like, awesome. Yes. Tell you so, what, what has yeah. changed in the industry that all of a sudden you're talking to these teams and having these sorts of conversations where they care? Because from a business perspective for a long time, it seemed like insurance will cover it. It's a risk that we'll cover you know, with, with some kind of cyber insurance. That's the way we'll deal with it. But now what you're describing is definitely a mentality shift. Do you, do you have a, I mean, what's changed? Okay, so cyber insurance really did not go well as, <laughs> as a thing. So I know there's still some companies selling it, but what happened a lot of the time is companies would buy cyber insurance and then the cyber insurance company would come and say, well, like you have no secure system development lifecycle. You have literally no standards. You did no testing. So no, we're not going to pay you out. Because you have you're driving drunk, you're not wearing your seatbelt, you hit a pedestrian. Yeah. What do you you want us and then to pay you, out? And then you that? like hit and ran. <laughs> right. And so like, sorry, no, like your insurance doesn't cover idiocy. And and so like that's been happening at at some companies where they're just saying, like, no, we're not covered, like we're not gonna pay out. Like I remember um the first house I ever bought, it like there was a little attachment to the house and it was in an awful state. And I ended up having a flood. And the insurance company came and they're like, there's literally holes in your roof. Like the previous owners had put nails directly into the roof and done all mm. sorts of things. They're like, we're not going to pay out for this. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I got to repair it myself. And that mm. was not awesome. So I think that a lot of companies that bought cyber insurance got burned. Like, <laughs> like, and some of them didn't. So some of them, for instance, they just got hit with, just got hit with <laughs> ransomware. And so the insurance just pays the ransomware up to a certain point and they're like, oh, we don't care. And then they don't learn. Mm -hmm. And then they kept doing the same things that made them vulnerable to ransomware. And so I was really hoping, I was very hopeful that the insurance would come out with like, you must do these things to be secure and that companies would actually start doing them. But the companies didn't. <laughs> so basically either some companies already had good hygiene and might have had better hygiene, but the ones with terrible security hygiene just kept on doing that. Hmm. Wow, that's that's really interesting. So and, to and a certain degree, a problem. Yeah, they uh, they learned the hard way <laughs> that they have to do that. We pause the podcast for a couple of minutes to introduce sponsor StrongDM's Secure Infrastructure Access Platform. And if those words are meaningless, StrongDM goes like this. You know how managing servers, network gear, cloud VPCs, databases, and so on, it's this horrifying mix of credentials that you saved in PuTTY and in super secure spreadsheets and SSH keys on thumb drives and that one doc in SharePoint you can never remember where it is. It sucks, right? StrongDM makes all that nasty mess go away. Install the client on your workstation and authenticate. Policy syncs, and you get a list of infrastructure that you can hit. When you fire up a session, the client tunnels to the strong DM gateway, and the gateway is the middleman. You know, it, it's a proxy architecture. So the client hits the gateway, and the gateway hits the stuff you're trying to manage, but it's not just a simple proxy. It is a secure gateway. The StrongDM admin configures the gateway to control what resources users can access. The gateway also observes the connections and logs who is doing what, database queries and kubectl commands, etc. And that should make all the security folks happy. Life with StrongDM means you can reduce the volume of credentials you are tracking. If you're the human managing everyone's infrastructure access, you get better control over the infrastructure management plane. You can simplify firewall policy. You can centrally revoke someone's access to everything they had access to with just a click. StrongDM invites you to 100% doubt this ad and go sign up for a no BS demo. Do that at strongdm.com slash packet pushers. They suggested we say no BS. And if you review their website, that is kind of their whole attitude. They solve a problem you have and they want you to demo their solution and prove to yourself it will work. Strongdm.com slash packet pushers and join other companies like Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime. Strongdm.com slash packet pushers. And now back to the podcast. Do you think 
that the the fact that a few companies got burned has sort of spread the message around whatever industry they're in. Hey, you need to pay attention to this AppSec thing because we got burned by it. Or do you think companies don't share that sort of thing because they're a little embarrassed by it? So some of the companies, so some of the industries do share information. So um, I'm under NDA, but there's a big industry that you know of and all of their CISOs meet and they talk about common threats that they're facing and they try to share like we got hit by this so watch out for this mm -hmm. and they've been sharing security information and working really hard at it but then other ones such as healthcare for instance they're not doing that and it's healthcare that's getting really hit hard with ransomware and healthcare is notorious for just never patching anything because for instance hospitals have to be open 24/7 there's no time where there's like, oh, yeah, like the business hours are over. Let's do all that. <laughs> that doesn't exist in a hospital. Right. And so it's very hard for them to have even decent patching at all, not just security patching, like just being relatively update. Like there's tons of hospitals with Windows XP all mm -hmm. over their networks right now and even earlier than that. Same with um any sort of energy systems, so like nuclear power plants, a lot of them are running XP yeah. or even Windows 98 because trying to patch a nuclear power plant is a complex, high-risk activity. So there are groups where it's kind of impossible or it's very, very difficult, while there's other groups like even software companies or companies that make streaming videos online like mine. Um, so we pay another company to host the We Hack Purple Academy and the We Hack Purple community. So I don't have to patch, they have to patch. Mm -hmm. um, but the companies that are doing the patching, it's not always a good scene. It's not always great. And I think that basically um, attack after attack after attack is happening, data breach after data breach after data breach. And software has been the main, like specifically web software. So web apps and APIs have been the number one cause of data breach since I think 2008, when Verizon started writing that Verizon breach report every year. Uh, we've just been two thumbs down every single year. And so <laughs> I maybe people start reading the report, maybe people start listening more, but I think it's actually just the bottom line. I think that they see another company utterly destroyed and going out of business and they're like that can't happen to us we have to take this seriously now mm -hmm. or worse they did have a giant breach so i've worked with a lot of companies where they're like we had a giant breach last year and we want to be like aces and perfect and you know 10 out of 10 from now on on our security you tell us everything we can do and we're going to do everything mm -hmm. but a lot of companies that haven't had something like that happen they just keep on chugging along and hoping for the best. And that's a scary place to be, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because eventually it'll catch up to them, uh, especially if yes. they get bigger or, you know, some of the other targets go away because they've improved their security. Now you bubble up to the top as a potential target and you're going to get hit. Yes, Ooh. I'm not sure if I answered your questions about where's the balance for devs. I. I really do feel like the software developers are under a lot of pressure right now and expecting yeah. them to do dev and ops and all the security is too much. I agree. The so, model I teach is where security people support the devs and they try to give them all the things they need so that they can create secure software and they trust, but then they verify with a whole bunch of tests right. to make sure that it worked out and then get them to fix those things. I feel like if the devs are supported well enough, it can work really, really well. It just depends on if the company is going to take it seriously or not and has the budget and the people to work on it. Mm -hmm. Security's always been a shared responsibility model uh, of some kind or another. I mean, AWS, I think, uses those terms to talk about what they do versus what's expected of their consumers. But even within companies, it's been that. So I mean, it's not all on the devs, but there's got to be, a, it's a reasonable expectation that a dev's going to do things like sanitize input. That should be a given, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it, right, we wouldn't want it to be all on devs because lots of code to be written and depending on their operating model, maybe it's 15 microservices that they have to touch to update a particular service, which is counterintuitive. But the more I read about microservice <laughs> environments, that does seem to be the reality of it, unfortunately. Uh, and, and so, right, there's a lot of pressure there. So, but I would imagine that the, the, 
there's a balance of devs writing secure code and having best practices combined with operations as another layer that is keeping up with this. And then a security team that overall has design and the checks and balances on what's finally making it to prod should everybody working together, we're all one big team here, resulting in <laughs> a product that's pretty secure once it hits the wire. Yes, that's what I want. That's what I want so bad. <laughs> Well, we need people to do it. We need more people getting on board with with InfoSec and getting into it. Though, you know, when I spend any time on Twitter and the and the InfoSec community, it's not always the most welcoming community, or at least portions of it are not. Um, so I'm curious if someone is interested in getting into the world of InfoSec or AppSec, how, how, what would you recommend they do uh, if they're coming from, you know, some other tech backgrounds? What, what should they do or where should they start to kind of break into that industry? I have so many ideas on this. Ned, <laughs> OK, <but> I, all <laughs> right. <laughs> so first of all, I, I wrote an article and I'll send you a link to it after. And it's called Jobs in InfoSec. And it's just all the different types of jobs I'd ever heard of and what it's like and what it means. And I, I did that because when I started in security, I thought the choices were pen tester, the person who updates the firewalls, or the risk analyst person that asks me a bunch of questions, does a bunch of paperwork, and then never speaks to me again, and I don't know if I passed or not. <laughs> and I was like, well, pen tester sounds the best of those three. That sounds good. Sign me up. And then very quickly, I realized that I was meant to work in AppSec, not as a pen tester. And I loved talking to devs all day. Pen testing can be like, so I'm super extroverted. I really like people. And pen testing for me, it started to get kind of lonely, like mm. me and an app for like eight hours. And, I, and I'm attacking it. And I'm like, oh, I found all this stuff. I feel good. But then it'd be like, where's all the, where are all the people? <laughs> and so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a good choice. Today um, I learned that I, I'd be a great pen tester. <laughs> Put me in the corner by myself. I'm happy. Oh. Yeah, but AppSec's really social. Like you end up being kind of a social butterfly and it really works well for my personality. Um, and so I wrote up this article so that other people could know that other jobs exist. And also total, just like blunt honesty, I want to make people come work in AppSec because I love it. And the more people, the better. And so, um, so then after that, so I'm going to send you this link. So jobs and infosec. And then the next thing is trying to find communities and or a professional mentor and or friends that work in that area. So you can learn more about it and then decide for sure whether you want to like excel into that or you're like, oh, I was wrong because I started with pen testing. I spent a long time learning how to do that, realized very quickly that I guess I just kept doing AppSec with our clients and my boss was so annoyed. It's like, Tanya, stop <laughs> hanging out with the devs all the time. Why are you helping them fix all those bugs? What are you doing? Um, and like, it's funny now, but he was not impressed. Mm. Uh, and, and, the, and then the, the, like the clients would ask for me and he's like, why are they asking for you? You took like four extra days. I'm like, yeah, but I helped them fix all these bugs. Then we retested and we retested and then we released and it was really good. And he's like, that's not your job. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I learned a lot, but the point is, is if people could learn that without spending a few years invested in it before that. And so, um, so every Monday on Twitter, I do this thing called cyber mentoring Monday. So I have a hashtag. It's you squish those words together. So cyber mentoring Monday. And I just pair off people together. So I'm like, are you looking for someone? Are you willing to offer? And then people message each other. And then a lot of things happen in direct messages. So you can't see what's going on. But people put themselves out there and say, hi, I'm looking for this. And then someone else just comes and says, hey, want to have a coffee on Zoom with me? And then they meet and then friendships form, mentoring relationships form. Sometimes people end up getting hired. And so that is one good way to say like, I'm considering becoming blah. Would anyone want to talk with me about it and tell me what it's like to do that job? Uh, another thing, so like I'm super passionate about trying to get people to join our industry. So another <laughs> thing I did, um, so the first season of the We Hack Purple podcast, every single episode is me interviewing people who have different jobs in information security and asking them like, how'd you get that job? What is, what is that job like? How did you meet 
like those people, how did you like, what did you study so that you had enough experience to do this? Like what jobs did you have that led up to this? Does this job pay well? Are there lots of opportunities in this job? Is this a job where I have to have a PhD to get it? Or can I do this with just high school? And so um, we did 49 episodes of that. So that's really helpful resource, which of course is free. Um, so the We Hack Purple podcast season one, season two is like cute, fun, little security mini lessons where we're learning a little thing each time. But okay, so the last thing that you could do if you're interested in AppSec, which is what I do, like software, security, DevOps, things like that, uh, is join the We Hack Purple community, which is free. So there's no upsell. There's no like, after this amount of time, we try to charge you. It's just free. Um, and basically, there's a, a whole bunch of us in there and we have little streaming events. So at first I was presenting, but now community members present to each other, which is really exciting. Uh, and we have like little discussions and we have little panels um, <laughs> and we write little articles. And basically people will say, I'm having this problem at work. How do I do this? Or I'm really interested in that. And so people are making friends and networking. And we do some cloud security. We do some other things, but mostly it's AppSec because I love AppSec. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so like join a community about the thing that interests you and be social. Are there entry-level opportunities across the board there? Like if I want to get into AppSec, is that a ground-level opportunity or do I need to be in the cybersecurity world for a few years before I can step into AppSec? That is a ridiculously excellent question. <laughs> So, and I'm going to give you the, it depends answer. Mm. So <laughs> a lot of organizations will post, I want 10 years experience in AppSec for this job. And I'll tell them, well, I wrote the book literally about AppSec. I wrote the only book in English that is about AppSec and I don't qualify for that job. Do you want to rewrite it? <laughs> are you telling me I'm not qualified to do that? So they're like, no, no, of course you are. I'm like, you've just eliminated everyone like me. Eight years is a ton of experience in AppSec. And, and also, if someone, I was a software developer 17 years before I switched to AppSec. I'm like, why don't you include any other IT experience as part of the level of experience? So let's say someone did help desk for two years and then they switched over or they were a software developer for five years and then they're switching over. That person has a wealth of knowledge already. And they also understand like how to work in an office, how to do projects, how to get things done, how to have a Zoom meeting. So like there's all this experience that they already have. And you're just like, no, none of that counts. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, do you want to hire someone or do you want to try to find God? Because you're trying to find this <laughs> perfect human being that I don't know where you're going to find that person. And when you do, you can't afford them. True. Um, so. What I've seen happen a lot, so I was upset that there's not enough AppSec people to fill all the jobs. So that's part of why I started We Hack Purple. And so we've had a lot of companies reach out and hire our grads. So they take three courses and then they graduate. And the idea is, is they, they're ready to be junior and they might not know how to debug an app or they might not know how to do super advanced hacking. But the idea is, is they have this big foundation and they know the things that need to be done and they know where to find all the answers and they're like raring to go. And so we've had a bunch of companies hire those people and a lot of them have like, by a lot, I mean 90 plus percent have found jobs in their field within like the first three months, which is awesome. We used to have a 100% rating and then now it's been a bit lower because we used to help people find jobs. But then the person that did that went back to school. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like so awesome at it. But anyway, this is what happens when you only have like five or six people that work at your company. Someone leaves and you're like, oh my gosh, that's such a huge dent. <laughs> um, but anyway, so basically if, if organizations are open to hiring a junior person and having a senior person teach them, that's a great way to do hiring. If you are a junior person, so I've gotten almost all my jobs from networking. And so a lot of people post jobs inside our community and like inside OWASP channel. So OWASP is another really fantastic, amazing community that you could join where everyone loves software security and they have different chapters around the world. They're really amazing. And so meeting people there, meeting people at We Hack Purple or like, let's say you're, you want to do threat intelligence and threat hunting. So you would join communities where people are into that. You talk to people, you tell them, I know I'm junior. Can you mentor me? Can you teach me? And then eventually that person will likely introduce you to someone that will give you a job. So a lot of the jobs, it's not someone applying on the internet for the job. It's that they got introduced by someone else and they're like, 
for six months, this person has been doing every single thing I told them. They read the book, they did the proof of concept, they wrote the app, they did the pen test. Like for my first job as a pen tester, they said, you don't know what you're doing. We're not hiring you. So I did an entire pen test for free. And then they still said that wasn't enough. So I went and remediated myself. All I patched the servers, I fixed the app, I did everything. And they're like, well, you're just not going to go away, are you? I guess we're going to give you a job. (laughs) And then I got hired. I also had my professional mentor went to go consult there. And he's like, well, I don't want to come if Tanya's not coming. Like, what are you thinking? You can't afford someone with more experience than her. And I can't do all the apps. So like, what are you going to do? Like, get her like you're being dumb. And so the client, they hired me. And then eventually I moved up and up and up. And like, once you have one year experience in InfoSec, like the world is your oyster. It's really, it sounds weird, but one year, all of a sudden, tons of things open up to you and you might do. So I know someone that did one year in AppSec and he decided, no, no, I definitely want to do red teaming. That's definitely what I want to do. I want to smash all the things, which is awesome. We need those people. And so he switched over and he had multiple job offers and he was so shocked. He's like, I just have one year plus like your little certificate thing you gave me, plus like this little Microsoft course I took for three weeks. And people are offering me a hundred thousand dollars, Tanya. I'm like, <laughs> take it. <laughs> Do it. Like, and so once you have a bit of experience, the world is totally your oyster. There's tons of opportunities then. But getting that first job, I find networking, meeting people, and especially if you can volunteer to be part of something so you can show people your work. So joining an open source project, do for instance, like finding an open source project and writing them and saying, hey, can I do a security assessment for you and help you make your thing more secure? I'll like do some testing, I'll log some bugs, and I'll help you fix them so that I can put this on my resume. You better believe it. They're going to be like, free security testing? Yes, this sounds quite good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, those open source projects, they don't usually have much of a budget. So yeah, if they can get yeah. the security for free, that's pretty nice. So I'm seeing a progression here. If you're coming from the outside, you don't already have that network built up, then get on Cyber Mentoring Monday or something similar and get hooked up with someone. That's your starting point, that kind of an anchor or join a community. Like you were saying, there's no you don't need to know someone to join a community. You can just do it. And then from there, you build that network of people who, you know, as assuming you're a good person who who does yes. work hard, <laughs> then good things will uh, tend to come to you. Um, so that's absolutely fantastic advice. And I know I, I, I've, you know, back channel been watching the, the whole cyber mentoring Monday thing growing. It looks really awesome. If I was going to try to get into sci- into the cyber world, I would probably go that route. Um, <laughs> and we talked about all the different jobs that are out there. I really wish that something similar had existed for like an operations infrastructure person when I started in the industry, you know, like almost 20 years ago, because at the time I had no idea what the roles were out there. I was like, I guess it's help desk or, or patching server or, you know, like installing servers. I didn't know about any of this other stuff. So maybe I need to write a post like yours. Yes. Yes. Actually, there's one more resource I just thought of. So this woman named Alyssa Miller. So she speaks at conferences a lot and um, she she has like a lot of Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. She wrote a book and I believe it just came out maybe two weeks ago. And it's specifically how to get a job in cybersecurity and um, all the different types of jobs that exist. And she interviewed like a ton of people over the course of two years for this. And so I haven't bought a copy yet, but I absolutely intend to. And um, she's worked in InfoSec longer than I have, and she's very passionate about trying to help people get into it. So I think that that would be a good resource, too. I'll get you a link to that book to add to the show notes. Oh, I already found it. We're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I follow Alyssa on Twitter, so it was uh, oh, it's too. right there on her profile. <laughs> so it's awesome. perfect. So we will include that in the show notes as well. I'm going to interrupt the podcast for a minute here to talk about IT training. You remember the ransomware attack on the gas pipeline last year? It caught your attention probably, caught mine. There's a key thing here. Cybersecurity professionals are in demand to prevent that kind of thing, but there are not enough humans out there to fill all the positions. There's over 500,000 open cybersecurity roles. 
you can become a cybersecurity professional if you get some training, some online training. It is never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder. IT Pro TV has you covered for your training. They cover everything. CompTIA to Cisco to EC Council to Microsoft. They, they've got all of it, including the cloudy stuff. More than 5,800 hours of on-demand training. And, and the way they present the information, you know, some presenters are like, they're reading from the book and they're super boring. That is not IT Pro TV's format at all. They use engaging hosts. that They're going to present the information in a talk show format and really keep it interesting. And they do it live. They, they're live every day. And then once they recorded that live show, it goes studio to web in 24 hours. As you're digging through their website, looking for content, all the courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, job role. You can find what you're looking for without a lot of trouble. And then when you pick the thing and you're ready to go, you can stream IT Pro TV's courses, uh, either the live stuff or the on-demand stuff from anywhere in the world via whatever platform you like, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or there's apps on iOS or Android. Learn IT, pass your certs, and then get a great job, maybe in cybersecurity, with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash day2cloud for 30% off all plans. Use promo code cloud at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash day2cloud. Day2cloud is day, the number two, cloud, and then use promo code cloud at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash day2cloud and use promo code cloud at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now let's get back to the podcast. I love catching up with you, Tanya, and, and hearing all the cool things that are happening for you. And you have a bit of uh, a big news that, <laughs> that, uh, that you told us about, and we kind of pushed out the recording a few times to make sure we could include it. So why don't you tell the listeners out there, what is your big, cool, awesome news? <laughs> so we have Purple is joining Bright Security. Um, so our companies are becoming one. And basically uh, what that means is that I no longer have to make money, which is awesome because <laughs> now Bright basically like they take care of us. Like there are, uh, so yeah. Uh, and we're opening the academy. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take all the courses from the academy, we're gonna move them in the community and we're gonna make every single We Hack Purple course free for the whole world. <laughs> um, wow. I'm so excited. So, th so then that means people can just study secure coding for free. It means they can study application security for free. We're gonna stop giving away certifications because we can't like watch you like a little hawk and make sure that you <laughs> did the things. However, this means that like anyone would be able to study on their own time. And so some of the courses are quite long, like the three application security courses, you know, it might take you a few months to do if you're just doing one video per day or something like that. But that means that someone who is a nurse who works the night shift, who couldn't attend a course at a regular school would be able to slowly study it and then switch into this field. It means that, you know, any software developer around the world could go and take the secure coding course and immediately start writing better code. And I'm just so excited because I'd always wanted to just be able to share knowledge with the whole world. And so I, I've been friends with the Bright guys since before I started We Hack Purple, and I wanted to join them, but I was like, oh, I really, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I need to share this knowledge with the world. And they're like, okay. And so we've been like working together, doing like workshops and other things. And then I joined their advisory board. And so I helped them design their product and stuff. And then they're like, you know, we just did some, we just did like a big series A and you know what we'd like to spend our money on? And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> And so, yeah, so we're joining forces and I'm really excited. And um, yeah, so that basically is happening immediately. Um, oh we signed a lot of fancy pieces of paper last week and <laughs> life is really good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just so excited. And I don't know if you can imagine, but like having like your, a company that you're sort of friends with, you just get to meld the two companies. And so now I have access to so many things. Mm. Like for instance, I get to use their tool whenever I want, but also just like they have a team of marketing experts that know more than just developer relations, which is what I'm gonna do for them. They have like editors, they have videographer, like they just have like all tons and tons of people that our tiny company didn't have. Mm -hmm. And so just now I have support in a way that I never did before because running your own company and bootstrapping, it's like, 
you don't have money for every single thing that you desire. And so now I kind of do, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I just have all these helpers and like they hired me some new staff and I'm just like, this is incredible. And so, yeah, so I'm really excited. And like, it's sort of like my dream come true to be able to just give the courses to everyone so everyone can learn. There's no more like, I don't know what AppSec is. I'm like, yes, you do. Just sit your bum down, get some internet and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to back up to something that you said that really hit me is you talked about a nurse who's working, you know, a, a, a night shift and, and can't attend the courses like like they might want to. Um, and that's someone who's not in technology at all today. So mm -hmm. the courses that are now going to be available completely for free, do they start at that basic level where someone who is not in tech today would be able to build all the way up to the point they're hireable? So the AppSec Foundation courses do. So a big part of AppSec is vulnerability management and like the project management of making sure that the devs actually fix things and getting them the content they need and getting them all the things. And so someone with absolutely no tech experience can do that job. So if you are joining a company where they have four or five AppSec people already, you could be that person that chases around all of the devs, making sure they get the things done, making sure they follow the secure system development lifecycle. So that's called governance. Mm -hmm. And then you can slowly build out more of your technical skills over time. And so that course, the Application Security Foundations courses, the three of them, they're not technical. It's about how to create a program for your organization that will get you the absolute best value and then how to execute that program and get all the things done. Because a lot of companies, they don't even have a, a system development lifecycle that everyone follows. Like some of us use, we're doing DevOps, but really they're just using a pipeline and it does like one test and then it just releases no matter what. <laughs> um, and so the idea that they would follow, like everyone would follow the same system development lifecycle and that there would always be these steps. And so we give you policies and guidelines and like secure coding this and all of that so that you have the things you need to like start running the program immediately. And so you can do that immediately, but you're still going to need to learn. So for instance, we have another course about like basically how to hack apps with a DAS tool. So you can follow that from the beginning. And we start with the idea that like you've never even made a GitHub account before. And we explain like every single result that you get and what it means so that you could just watch that video again later <laughs> before you go meet with the dev and be like, yes. It is. And you like look at your thing, you're like, blah, blah, blah. And like, the idea is <laughs> but we want to be able to like build you up so that you can do the job. But like you are going to have to do learning on your own. So for instance, like we show one DAS tool, which is bright, no surprise. <laughs> um, but that like eventually you just learn how to use the tools over time. And that's a thing that takes time, right? Like when I went from one app sock at when I went from one app sec shop to another one, they used a different DAS, a different SAS, and a different SCA. So I just had to learn them. Like it's like, oh, instead of doing this, I do that now. And some companies, they don't have any of that. And so you might be the person that is bringing in a tool for the first time. And then that means everyone's learning with you mm -hmm. as you learn. And so, yes, we've had a bunch of people come from, especially for some reason, nursing and teaching. A lot of women. So we have um, we have a diversity scholarship. So I've already been giving away things for free forever. <laughs> um, and so basically, people could apply. And then uh, big sponsors. So it started with Luto Security. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they do like bug bounties and stuff. Mm -hmm. And basically, uh, their owner Katie Missouri and I are friends. And she's like, "Hey, how much would it cost for me to send ten ladies through that?" And I'm like, "You know, ten thousand bucks." She's like, "Okay." Just do it. <laughs> wow. And, and then what we do is we match every single sponsor two to one. So that sent 30 women through our program. And so basically, I think we've sent something like 80 women of color through the entire program. And then men and like all like all sorts of other people that for whatever reason are underrepresented in tech. And so we let them explain why they're underrepresented. So for instance, like anyone from any African country is underrepresented mm -hmm. in tech because there aren't the same programs there. There aren't the same opportunities there. So I'm like automatically approved. <laughs> um, and so we've sent over a hundred people through the program completely free as a result of like awesome sponsorships from companies like Slack, Solvo Cloud, Bridge Crew, like a whole bunch of companies are just like, we wanna put our money where our mouth is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of those people, for whatever reason, are teachers and quite a few number of nurses. But any type of job that you have before, you can learn this new job. It just takes time. And there'll be moments where you stumble. Um, we we had Purple hired someone that had been in the trades, but who did lots of videos for us. And we had some things where, like, his trades are so different. So, for instance, we're all in a meeting. And he just got up and walked out partway through and didn't say anything and left. And we're like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, I had to just go pick up my kids. And I guess that's what you do at a construction site. You just get up and leave and you just only bill those hours. I'm like, no, you have to tell us when you're leaving. And also, you should have just told us this meeting's not a good time for you. He's like, I can tell you that. And you'll put the meeting around me. We're like, yes, you're the important dude for this meeting. And like, just like learning those little things. He's like, you'll work the meeting around my schedule. I'm like, yes, because we need you there. And he was just like, that's so easy. Wow, thanks. And so like learning those things. And it seems so obvious to us because we work in offices. But you better believe it. If I went on a trade site, I'd be useless. Mm, right? Like they'd be like, she's in the way. She's doing this. Where's your hard hat? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so like it's things that you learn by doing the job. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that is just that's fantastic news for you. I could. I can't imagine happening to a better person. And uh, I'm super pumped for all the people who get to take these courses now because they were paid courses before, which means, you know, their quality. You were expecting someone to pay money for this course. So it's not like you slapped it together. Um, Sometimes you get what you pay for in in the world of YouTube and training. There's good stuff out there, but there's a lot of stuff that is not great. I know this stuff is going to be great, is great. And now people can get it for free. So congratulations again. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, if, if folks want to get more information about you, uh, want to follow you, like what are all the different places to find you and we hack purple? Okay. So if you look up, she hacks purple, that's me. So there's she hacks purple.ca. That's my Twitter handle. It's my, um, YouTube channel. It's my Instagram handle. So basically if you look up either Tanya Janka or she acts purple, you're going to find me. And so whatever your medium is that you prefer, except Facebook, I really don't go on there, but you can talk to my intern there if you want to. Um, and then for we hack purple. So we have the same thing. So we have like the Twitter handle that is we hack purple. You go to we That's us. If you want to go on like Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, like all the places were just named We Hack Purple. And there's going to be a bunch of friendly people there waiting for you. Awesome. That is epic. Uh, Tanya, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. And I hope you'll come on again sometime and bring us up to date on what's going on in the world of AppSec and information security. Thank you so much for having me, Ed and Ethan. Ned and Ethan. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Oh. And hey, listener, thank you as well for tuning in and listening today. Virtual high fives to you. If you have suggestions for future shows or future guests, we want to hear them. Let us know. You can hit either of us up on Twitter. The handle is at Day2CloudShow. Or if that's not your thing, you avoid Twitter like I avoid Facebook, you can fill out the form on my fancy website, NedInTheCloud.com. If you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. It's all super nerdy content designed for your professional career development. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 